This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Hey guys, welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. Welcome to October 2020, getting through this weird year. Uh, today, bringing on Willie Schmidt. He is at pure hunting underscore official known Willie for over 10 years is a great dude he's in the hunting industry he does have a hunting show called pure hunting uh one of the coolest dudes I've ever known uh solid dude straight shooter hard working uh he's kind of ageless seriously he's like 50 and looks like he's 35 great elk hunter great hunter great sportsman great just advocate for conservation love the guy he's been on the podcast in a group format at an elk shape camp he helped out at but i wanted to get him on one-on-one very humble guy like most people don't know he killed a bull over 400 inches uh, in 2019 he certainly wouldn't brag about it but i will for him and he's just a good family man you can just tell that his marriage is solid he's a great father to his kids and he's hard working and he's got a great hunting show and he's on year number 10 so we're going to interview slash conversate with Mr. Willie Schmidt. You're going to enjoy this episode. Pay a few bills real quick. Thank you to the following. We're going to list it out. Vortex Optics, Kinetrek Boots, Base Map, Kafaru, Matthews Archery, Grim Reaper Broadheads, Phelps Game Calls, Baku E-Bikes, Wilderness Athlete, Sika Gear, Climate, Hamski, Tight Spot, Black Gold, Lakewood Products, Crossover Symmetry, Black Ovis, Last Chance Archery, AAE Archery, and Northwest Retention Systems. Thank you, partners. Let's get into the show with Mr. Willie Schmidt, one of my favorite guys. You're going to enjoy this episode. Here we go. 
How are you, Willie? I'm good. How about you? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm probably like you, just scrambling because it's like, holy smokes, hunting season's here. I know. We waited a long time, and with every all the, all the craziness going on, it, uh, it seemed to sneak up faster than other years. Mm, you know, as far as the craziness, you hear that so much. There, There is no craziness in my life, except I have little kids that I really want to go to school. Because uh-huh. I'm trying to go elk hunting, and although I don't want my wife having the burden of, you know, teaching kids. And it seems like the teachers don't want to have classes, but they also don't want to do remote. So I don't know what's going on with that. Your kids are, what, your daughter's? Well, she's done and graduated. She's looking at her master's probably starting next spring semester. But so she's just working, doing whatever. She's not really affected by it. My son uh, would be starting his third year and he hated the online college. So if they go online or majority online, he's probably going to take a gap semester and just work and whatever, especially if they aren't lower in the tuition prices for online. Oh, so yeah, they're talking about keeping it the same. Well, as of right now, Montana state's saying students come in, there's mask restrictions, whatever. Lots of classes will be in person, but because of class sizes and social distancing, they might have to do a hybrid. Some larger classes might have to go online, uh, but the smaller, you know, as you get in the upper level classes, smaller classes, they likely will do in in person. But shoot, the school starts in like three and a half weeks. So he's still, he hasn't made a decision, I guess, is a short story. And I think a lot of places are just holding out to make a decision. Yeah, then no, everybody's frustrating. I can't believe how they hold out. But my question for you is like, do you remember what classes he was taking that pivoted to online? Because I'm really curious, like how you do chemistry lab from home. Right. Uh, I think it's like the larger. Um, I mean, the hands on stuff you can't do online. I know at the at last year when they sent everybody home uh, and we're saying online people who had labs could go into the labs, but they had a structured deal. Instead of like the whole class going in from two to three thirty, they would say some of the class comes in from one to two, some of the class comes in from two to three, some of it comes in three to four, just to wrap that hands-on stuff up. Um, and he's a switch to business last year. So it's the larger lecture classes I think that might go online where you can get that online and 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 study that way. But uh I don't know. Some of that hands-on stuff makes no sense, especially like engineering, medicine, uh, chemistry, biology. I mean, you can't go dissect an animal online. <laughs> <laughs> you know, field trip, you still got to get outside. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Where did So you moved to Montana. By the way, everybody, we're not doing an official intro. This is Willie Schmidt. He's like a, a really good friend. He's out of Bozeman for now. But we're going to get to know Willie if you don't know him. Uh, one of my favorite people I've ever met in my life. So uh, no pressure, Willie, but we don't do it. This is a conversation. So, man, where did you grow? Did you grow up in, in Denver? Uh, actually, grew up in Fort Collins, north okay. of Denver. Yeah. Okay. And then when I met you, we we could probably figure it out, but it was a, it was a decade plus ago, right? Yep. Okay. And we met at the uh, Archer Trade Associate ATA show uh, in – Indy or some city. Do you remember what city? Columbus. I don't remember which city at the time, but uh, I, I mean, I don't remember the original introduction, but I remember 
after we met, uh, lots of uh, timestamps of just you and Kenton and Santino and me working out in that little room uh, early one morning before the show started. You know, you coming out to Colorado. Uh, that was still in the Train to Hunt days, but it was just you that came out before Train to Hunt was having any uh, events. Oh, yeah. That was way back. Yeah. And I, I was laughing because – so I'm bankrolling all my podcasts so I can go hunting. And I was looking at my calendar, and I was like, okay, I only have two podcasts that left to do. And I thought of you and Santino. I was like, those are some of my best buddies. And I've done this podcast for three years, and I've never had them on. I suck. And so on a whim, I just sent you a text, and it, it worked out. So – I'm I'm pumped to finally get you on here. You've been on my radar forever, but I know how busy you are. But you got a really cool story, dude, and I want to kind of go into it a little bit so people can understand. But let's get them caught up to what you're doing currently in the hunting space. Okay. Um, well, I've, I've been hosting and been an owner and hosting Pure Hunting TV now for nine years. We're going to start filming season 10 this fall, which is unbelievable to me. Um, so that's the short story moving, moving to Bozeman two years ago. It really wasn't because of the show or whatever. I could kind of do it from wherever, but it was a quality of life change my wife and I made. So professionally, uh, I have some other projects, if you will, sort of an entrepreneur, but that's the one that takes the most time that I'm most passionate about. And that I'm focusing on right now. Yeah. And, the move from Fort Collins or Denver area up to, let's just say the Bozeman area. I mean, that didn't happen overnight. That was pretty strategic, and it worked out for you because your daughter was enrolled at MSU. Did it? Was it one of those things where you took her up for a college tour and fell in love with the place? Yes, um, we were touring schools. Prior to that, though, so we toured schools a year obviously before she was going to start, and we looked at Montana and Montana State. We frankly liked the campus of Montana a little better, but the town of Bozeman just really resonated with us. It reminded me of Colorado, and I don't want to say how many years ago because it sort of dates me, but growing up in Fort Collins, it reminded me a lot of that. We've had friends who have lived here. We met them in Denver when he was going to law school. They moved back because they were from the Ennis area 16, 17 years ago. So we had visited them a couple of times, and I, I, I fell in love with it at the time, but with kids and uprooting school and uh, Bozeman honestly was probably a little small for Sherry at the time. Um, but it just worked out great. So it was about six years ago that we, I sort of threw it out there and man, Sherry called my bluff <laughs> hook, line and sinker. And, uh, here we are. That's cool. Now, Sherry's your wife of how many years? Next month, 27 years. Say what? That's awesome. Congrats, man. That's really cool. So did you get married? You got married in August? Okay. Uh, I was just making sure you didn't get married in September. I was going to give you some bad time there. <laughs> no, I, uh, I knew better than that because it was a lifetime of uh, anniversaries that might conflict with my probably set my favorite passion in the outdoors, which yeah. is the same as yours. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, let's get into what led you to take the leap of faith to dive in as an entrepreneur into the hunting space, which quite honestly at the time was pretty saturated with TV shows. I remember you showing me your sizzle reel on an iPad in a gym after we were covered in sweat. And I watched it and I was like, this is 
this looks really cool. I mean, the messaging was kind of different. It was kind of blue collar-ish, uh, which I dug. And I remember it was kind of like, oh, you know, the name Pure Hunting just kind of spelled out you and your personality of just pretty wholesome, nothing super Hollywood, no fancy editing, just really cool adventures with really good dudes. So how did you take that dive, man, and, and jump into a space that was pretty crowded? As, as you know, I was, a, I was a commercial banker in Denver for what turned out to be 14 years. Um, grew up hunting. My dad was a wildlife biologist at Colorado State University, which was in Fort Collins. So I was you know, following him around when I was really, really young in the woods. Started small game hunting when I passed hunter safety. You couldn't hunt big game in Colorado at the time till you were 14. Um, so started, you know, with some pronghorn and and uh, deer. And we did rifle elk hunting as a family. Um, so I was always a, just, I loved the outdoors, honestly. And then, you know, you go to college and don't dive into it all that heavily. And then started a family and a career. Um, but, you know, outdoor TV was something I would watch and was enthralled in just because it, uh, you know, was watching other people's adventures, I guess, some of which I hadn't been on some aspired to, but, uh, so I, you know, did the commercial banking thing for that long. Um, in 2006, our bank was acquired by another bank. And after a year, I mean, during that time I was, you know, having doubts of if it was what I wanted to do for, forever. And I'm using air quotes cause that's a long time, but after about a year, uh, and my cousin and I were in the business together, we collectively decided we, it wasn't what we'd signed up for, um, long-term. And I didn't want to have that regret five years from then saying, I wished I would have left. Now I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I just knew that wasn't it. So we both left the bank, took a little time to decompress. And then we got into the car wash business. Um, but as I was informing all of my customers, I was leaving the bank. One of them was out, was, uh, Orion multimedia, which at the time was likely the largest outdoor television production company. And they were based in Denver. They were a customer of mine. So when I left the bank, uh, the owner of the company, you know, inquired if I'd had any interest of maybe doing some projects with them, guest hosting or, or even co-hosting and, all I knew at the time was I, I loved the outdoors. Uh, I watched outdoor TV. I couldn't tell them no till I tried it. So they sent me on a hunt or two. And for about three years, I, I did some guest and co-hosting. Um, at the time, I didn't know much more other than I was just kind of a hired gun. Went out there. I didn't get involved in the editing. A lot of the hunts weren't kind of my style of hunting. It was a lot more outfitter guided, setting it up, you know. Um, through them and, and going on those types of hunts. So three years later, th three guys left Orion and started their own production company. And that's kind of when the leap of faith you talk about took off. I uh, uh, had no intentions or aspirations of having my own TV show, but anybody who goes out on their own, you know, needs <laughs> projects and to make money and clients and everything. And those three guys had I'd gotten to know them through Orion and they said, you know, we, do you have an interest? We think that, uh, there's a gap in the outdoor space of telling the whole story, not just showing up somewhere hunting and then either you miss or you kill something. And that's the end of the story. We all know hunting is a much longer process, uh, a little more cinematic and a little more of what style I like to do, which was a lot more, you know, do it yourself, do it with friends sort of, sort of style. And 
pure hunting came to be and uh, shot the sizzle reel, which I showed. And I remember at least three of the four of us that were <laughs> four or five of us that were on that workout and showed uh, you, Cam Haynes and Tim Kent, all that sizzle and was proud of it. But, you know, you've got to create episodes and you've got to create a whole season and then you got to create another season and another and another season before you're sort of like any business taken seriously. It's consistency and whatnot. And I figured if we hit three years, we might have been doing OK. You know, the attrition in the outdoor space with your background in it. And here we are nine years later. That's cool. I did not know. I mean, I knew Orion and I knew like I didn't know you were lending the money uh, from a business side first and that's where it started my curiosity is commercial banking a little not a lot but my father-in-law retired from it and i could never really get him to tell me like what is your day-to-day like but it sounds like it was more or less managing relationships and just being there for businesses when they need you know some sort of additional funding or they need some sort of account where they can kind of keep rolling into the bank's money a little bit to keep up with production. Did you like commercial banking and what was it like? You're right. I mean, the day to day, it was kind of like, I mean, yes, you'd have scheduled meetings with your clients, whatnot, but a lot of times our bank was a community bank. So it was one location. We were fairly large for one location, had been around for a long time. So you just kind of had to be at the bank to take care of clients when they when they came in. And I say commercial banking, but I handled a lot of individuals as well. So so a plumbing company would bank with us and it was lines of credit. It was financing their vehicles. It was financing, you know, their inventory for all that it took to be a plumber. But then also the individuals uh, associated with that, the owners, the managers, the husband, wife and taking care of their you know, personal vehicle needs, maybe their home purchases, that type of thing. So, um, and, and the fact that we were one location, I, I sort of, and, I, and you know me well enough, I don't toot my own horn or what have you, but I was, my cousin and I were running the bank after we'd been there about 10 years. So when you take on managerial roles, you still are trying to take care of the clients the way you always have, but you had to manage the people. Uh, you had to manage the regulators. I mean, banking is a very regulated industry. So whether it's DIC or the Fed, they'd come in, you know, once a year for an audit. So you had to handle that aspect as well. That so much I did not enjoy. What I really enjoyed was what I still enjoy, like in the outdoor space, is personal relationships, representing people, taking care of them, you know, with some of the partners and whatnot. But the people that I've met and the relationships I've developed are are second to none. And that's what I really, really enjoyed. And the relationships with the employees at, at the height, we probably had 112 employees. And my cousin and I divided up the duties and he was much more the risk manager, the lender, keeping track of a risk within the bank that bought deposits, the loans, whatnot. I dealt with human resources and new business development. That's it. That was just sort of my strength. Mm, and okay. I really enjoyed I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Well, fast forward through nine seasons, going on number ten, moving to Montana. Where is pure hunting at today? Not only where do you find the content, but what is it like what is on your radar from a week to week standpoint of managing social blogs, websites, relationships with partners? Uh, creating content, uh, planning hunts. I mean, there's a whole, I just think of so many things that need to get done. How do you, how do you do it week to week? 
I probably fall short in a lot of areas because it is a lot. And, I, you know, you get it and you understand it. I don't I think a lot of people just think you you go on however many hunts a year and, and either self film or have a camera crew. And, and once you're done with the hunt, that's all there is. Um, but between trade shows, which who knows if that's coming back or not, but you figure, you know, that's I go to three trade shows every year um, shot ATA. I started limiting shot ATA which is the Archery Trade Association, for those who don't know, and the Western Hunting Conservation Expo, which is a trade show, but it's open to consumers and is a fun time. But business is done there. You know, you're developing and maintaining relationships there. And then it's the business side of things, the contracts, the negotiations, you know, what every partner has a different budget and a different set of deliverables that they feel is important. Some still like commercials within uh, the show. Others want almost all digital and integration within the show, and it's finding out what their hot buttons are, what makes sense, and then it's delivering on those, which it's a year-round thing. Everybody says, oh, it's your slow time, and, and yes, it is because I'm not traveling in, in the field, but gosh, it's sending out invoices. It's getting checks and depositing them. It's now starting to talk about 2021 with partners, and you know, it's a it's a month long months long cycle from having the conversations to actually signing a contract some of which you know you don't even get done if i start now until after the trade show season so and the whole social thing i think you and i've chatted about it, it it's it's a blessing and a curse and you know i hate how old i am sometimes feeling like a teenager on my phone feeling like i got to make a post or make something on the story and not falling off people's radar, but I want something that's relevant, that's authentic, that's me trying to be true to myself. And sometimes that's tough. And so there will be gaps in there, but it's, it's trying to manage all of that and I'll get really into it for a little bit. And then, you know, whether life gets in the way or, or just kind of fed up with it, you'll stop for a couple of days and then you'll realize uh, that's what you signed up for. So you got to jump right back in and follow through with it. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of great, there's a lot of good, and there's some bad, but you did sign up for some of it, so you just got to have to deal with it. Transitioning kind of away from your day-to-day, -day, like let's talk about Willie Schmidt, the, the husband, the father, the good stuff, the stuff that I dig, is you got kids that are graduated college and in college. Uh, does your wife still, does your wife work, or is she at home? She's transitioning from being at home to uh, probably getting some credentials to be uh, self-employed, but in the, like the uh, interior design lighting space, she really has a knack for that. So she's transitioning into that sort of a, a career choice in her fifties, you know? Yeah, that's great. That's cool. And you recently crossed over the 50 mark, right? Yeah, I did. What's that like? Let's say, so you're a decade ahead of me. I'm knocking on 40, about a year out. What's that like from an athletic standpoint? You're a very fit guy. You stay in great shape. I always give you a hard time that you're such, such a good looking <laughs> dude. What, uh, what's 50 versus 40, dude? Uh, you know, that's sort of a loaded question. I'll, a couple points. One, I don't think the 50 now is what I thought the 50 was when I was growing up and my parents hit 50. Okay. Um, I do not feel like I thought my parents were. And my dad was a relatively fit guy. So some of it, I think, is just when you're 20 years old, <laughs> you think everybody over 50 is old. Um, but I, I will say also that, you know, the you do have a few more aches and pains. 
Um, you just got to, I have started since this spring doing a lot more mobility and mindset type thing to stretch and, and uh, take care of those things. But I, uh, I, I really do try to stay in shape. I, not because of anything. It's for a year round. It's a lifestyle. And I really enjoy it. And the, the side effects of hopefully looking decent and, and keeping, you know, you got to have good genetics, I guess, which I feel like I've got. But, man, I, I do it just so I wake up feeling good I, and that I can keep doing what we love to do. You know, I want to I mean, I, I went on an elk hunt with my dad in his late 60s. And I said, I want to do it at least to that age and, and longer. And, and uh, that's a big reason why I do it. Um, but, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I guess I sort of went everywhere on that. It, it, it doesn't, I don't feel like I'm 50. I certainly sometimes don't act like I'm 50. I don't know what you're supposed to act like. Um, but I do all that I can to, to not look and act 50, to be honest with you. Um, and I think a lot of that surrounding myself with a lot of younger people who are very active and you said at elk shape camp, you know, that periphery vision, peripheral vision in a gym is so important and it just pushes yourself. Um, and I try to do that just to, push myself a little harder to make myself better every day. Yeah. And you do a great job. So I was excited that you joined a, that local CrossFit gym pre COVID. And then, um, obviously we've all had a transition to home gym life. So, um, give us a little taste of what it was like going into a CrossFit box as far as being intimidated. Did it, was it, did you get really good coaching and then transition into your home gym life as far as like favorite pieces of equipment for your home gym and what some of your workouts look like training in your basement or wherever you do it sure uh when we built the home here one thing that was important to me and my wife was to have a home gym and uh we had done so much at home for i don't know shoot almost 10 years in fact i think we did p90x starting in 2010 so we did a lot on our own and are self-motivated but when we moved up here and actually before we moved my daughter had joined highlight crossfit and when we'd come visit um she would ask if I wanted to go there and I enjoyed it. Um, I was intimidated. I mean, I am competitive and you want to perform and there are some movements that I just never grew up doing. I, I did a lot more, you know, just weightlifting sort of things and it would go running. So to incorporate all of that, um, that CrossFit provides with the powerlifting movements, but a lot of the, the, uh, gymnastics and, the high endurance, uh, stuff was, was a little intimidating. They do have good coaches and I connected well. I was really glad that Samantha was there to make the introductions like anything, an introduction like that through somebody, you know, is far better than just walking in the door and feeling like the new kid on the block, whether it's a bow shop or a fly fishing store or a gym. I mean, you, you have to get over that hurdle. And that was a much lower hurdle because of Samantha. And uh, I still was like, well, I'll go occasionally, but still work out mostly at home. But it, I became addicted to it. I mean, I don't think I ever went five days a week, but I would go three days at least a week because I enjoyed it. I liked the camaraderie and it's cliche, but as you know, owning a CrossFit gym and going, that community is an important community. It's got to be the right one for you. And I just fell into the right one. Lots of hunters, lots of like-minded people. Uh, my wife gave me crap saying, you know, you've got to quit trying to keep up with these 30 year olds and I'm not, but again, just pushing yourself to, to be better. And it took a while. I, I got the, CrossFit cough, as you know, oh, yeah. from Elk Shape Camp, you know, and and then you hit that hurdle where you're not getting it as often, and you're starting to see improvements. And uh, when COVID hit, uh, everything shut down, and I was so glad I had 
the gym that we had because Brittany at the gym would put a workout up online to do every day. A lot of it was body weight stuff because a lot of people don't have really, you know, well-equipped gyms, but you don't need that to get a good workout. So I would incorporate that every day and, uh, and have gotten away from the true just weightlifting. I mean, we all love to get a good pump every now and again, but I've just started going, if I, if I don't go to the gym, have somebody come here, just do something at home and just try to incorporate and improve on those movements. Like I still have to go online, Dan, to find out the difference between a hanging clean and a snatch. And a, I still don't have all the terminology down, but I try to incorporate all that to get better. I'm not going heavy. I'm kind of over that. I just want to get the movements down and, and really push myself and get a good endurance, you know, my heart rate up and uh, help with my recovery and everything else. So I've incorporated all of that I've learned if I'm not at the gym in my home gym. Okay, so that begs the question, if somebody's, obviously you can't buy gym equipment right now at the time of this recording, trust me, I've been trying to buy my wife a pair of 35-pound dumbbells on Facebook, Marketplace, Craigslist, Rogue Fitness, whatever. Can't, it's, you're just not going to find them. Like, the, if I had... If I had any smarts to me, I would have been invested in some sort of gym equipment sales because pre-COVID, man, it was like ones and twosies. And now you can't get any equipment still to this day. You can't get so I can't do any upgrades to my home gym. But I guess that makes me want or curious to know, like, if somebody's listening and thinking about getting their own elk parking, as I call it, where I don't park in my garage anymore, I have made a, a gym. And that's why I call it elk parking. I park outside my garage so I can get in shape for elk hunting. What's like some of your go-to equipment that's obviously not super fancy but gets used a ton? Um, sandbags. And you don't have to go buy a Rogue sandbag, a Rep Fitness sandbag. Go to Cabela's or your sporting goods store and buy a, um, a dry bag and fill it with sand. Mm-hmm. You know, modify that. That's not very much money and go to a uh, uh, landscape company and, and get a five gallon bucket of sand and you can use that for all kinds of workouts, you know, box step ups and you don't need to have a CrossFit box, you know, use your stairs, um, use a bench, just go out and walk and throw that sandbag in a backpack. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, you've done some of that and, and go on a ruck hike or shoot, just throw it up hold it in an overhead position and go walking for 300 yards. You're going to enjoy <laughs> that. Fry yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and do over the shoulder. I mean, so a sandbag and go buy three. I went to Cabela's a few years ago and bought three different sizes of drive bags. And I think I have a 20, a 30 and a 40 pound. And you can do a whole lot with just that. Hold, throw it on your shoulder and do lunges, hold it in a you know cradle position and do squats. Um, that's pretty basic and you can get several days worth of workouts in, in with just the sandbag and body weight movements. Yeah. You can always, always sprint with a sandbag or without up a hill or not. I think sprinting, not running, but actually sprinting is the most underrated overlooked movement. Now don't go pulling a hamstring. You're not, you're not 16 years old anymore. And if you ever do pull a hamstring, the older you get, the longer it takes to heal. And there could be some, you know, reoccurring, nagging pain there for years to come. But like sprinting for me is something that utilizes, 
your entire skeletal muscle system. It fires all cylinders of your central nervous system. What I'm trying to say is it works everything. It takes very little time and you can do it anywhere. Now, as winter approaches, you know, the garage gym kind of sucks for me. I did get uh, a wall mounted heater, which I'm super stoked on, but the the barbell still ice cold when I mean, we both live in the, the Northwest and it gets cold in there. But do you train in your garage or are you inside your house? It depends. I'm mostly inside the house. So that's not an issue, but some of the workouts that they put online that I will do incorporate doing something and then going on a run or a jog or, you know, 400 meter something. So I would bring the, some of the equipment I needed upstairs into my garage or on the, driveway in the spring and summer and do it there so um it's a little bit of that and and there's going to be sometimes in the winter when <laughs> we get a little more snow that snow than you do that it's just not possible but i get exactly where you're coming from and shoot i i watch your stories and watch the workout it's amazing how much you sweat with a beanie on and uh those movements re- even if it's 30 degrees in your gym oh that's for sure well i wanted to give a shout out to crossfit highlight because um what's the owner's name Brittany. She drove from her house on a Sunday afternoon, let me and my wife work out with Lucas and Alicia Zimlicka. Tr- tried not to charge me. I paid her anyways, but tried not to charge me, let my kids run around and make her gym a mess while we did a workout on a Sunday when we were visiting. Very hospitable. So if you guys are in that greater Bozeman area, that is definitely the box to go check out for sure. Want to give them a props and a shout out. Let's talk about 2020 season. As this drops, it's kind of the basically early October. So you and I will probably be still elk hunting a little, but what is your season looking like, Willie? What do you got in the books? I've got a Montana, uh, Eastern Montana elk hunt, um, which is archery only. It's a six week season here, which is great. So I plan to devote a lot of time to that. Uh, Chris and I are going to New Mexico for an elk hunt. Uh, we took advantage of, you know, the hunt we had last year, that was a drawn tag BLM sort of over the, not over the counter, but a draw deal, do it yourself. Didn't draw this year, but uh, a friend of mine who has the draw consulting, a hunting consulting business, found a landowner, two landowner tags available to us. So we snatched those up for not too much money, but and just the chance to hunt elk for five days in New Mexico. So we've got that uh, at the latter part of their second season. So the 20th through the 24th of September. And then uh, Wyoming pronghorn, I'll probably hunt that on the way back. That is a rifle tag, but it's a quality unit so chris and i drew that which is going to be a ton of fun oh that Um, is a cool hunt man really cool hunt lots of apparently a ton of animals and some good quality animals and uh i'm not a trophy hunter but i have a chance to pick over lots of animals you know before before you pull pull the trigger and i just think it pronghorn's just a fun hunt because it lasts all day you know, they're out feeding. You can make multiple, multiple stocks. You're seeing animals every single day. I just have really enjoyed it. Um, and I didn't do it for a long time until about five or six years ago. I got back into it and, uh, it's a ton of fun. Dude, the same thing for me. I put it on ice for like 10 years and kind of went the, the high country velvet mule deer style backpack, which I still love to this day, but with a family, I can bomb run out antelope on a couple days at a time and be entertained the entire time with no downtime. 
and it's just a little bit of a low-key hunt I can still do with my dad. I love it, and I like antelope meat. Some people don't. Some people love it, and uh, I, I get it, man. I think it's a fun hunt. And then after Wyoming, are you heading back to Montana? Yep, and I think I'll just, uh, if I haven't killed a bull by then, there should be about two to two and a half weeks left. And, man, archery elk hunting in October uh, is phenomenal. There's still bugling. There's some, you know, rut, but post-rut activity. Um, so if I haven't killed one by then, I'm going to devote the remainder of October just to Montana elk. Oh, that'll be sweet. And, you know, obviously Eastern Montana is huge. It's not like you can just stay at your house every night. You'll have to get out there, but you're going to have to cover so much country. It's, that's going to be kind of a fun hunt, just that you got to be everywhere and you got to be able to pivot and you're dealing with a lot of private property and stuff like that. So you're going to have to really have a landowner app. What do you use for uh, landowner app stuff? I use Onyx. I have for a long time. That's cool. Um, I know. I think you just, I don't know if you just switched, but you're using Basemap, right? I'm currently using Basemap. Yep. 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 Um, heard really good things about it, but whatever you're using, if, if it's got a good, robust public versus private, whatever layering you're using, those are so crucial. Yeah. Drill down as close as you can and just you can almost walk the line. Not almost. You can walk the line and make sure you're not crossing over. And it'll also tell you if a fence line is really the property line. <laughs> <laughs> as we've both encountered, especially in Montana, the the October bull thing in Montana. I, I do want to warn people, though, for whatever reason, Montana changes like October 1st. I've had more cold miserable hunts in montana early october than anywhere else and i don't know why that is it you're right it's i don't know if we're no, that much farther north than you are but i mean there have been some mornings where you know last year would take the atv out and uh i mean it was 20 degrees and then you're riding the atv and you're creating wind chill that probably is putting it around 10 mm -hmm. that's a hell of a way to, to start your hunt you know finishing up and, and just, I don't know. It is, it is a colder experience for sure. So when you're gone that long, what kind of thought or forethought do you have to put into nutrition and guys don't turn it down? Cause we're talking about food. This is elk shape. We have to talk about performance. And I always mention Ryan Lampers when I talk about backcountry nutrition, because in 2016 we shared camp in Nevada and I'm eating mountain houses and he's eating his own homemade dehydrated meals and all this fancy vegetables and stuff. And at the time I, I was definitely more fit than him. I'm definitely younger than him, but if it, to me, anecdotally, I felt like he was recovering faster just through his nutrition. And that's something to be thinking about. Like bringing good quality nutrition along the hunt so you can hunt your best it is very finite you don't have a ton of time to really squander when you're elk hunting or hunting across the west what does willie schmidt do for food well i'll jump and say that i have learned a lot from you and ryan uh over the years and that is probably that's probably my biggest weakness um i don't devote the time to make my own um you know, meals and whatnot, I'm going to try to make it a little bit more of a focal point, which August is going to fly by pretty quick. But, you know, I used to do the mountain house and whatnot. I've switched it up to do more Heather's Choice and peak refuel. Mm -hmm. uh, I think just a better quality. Um, lot, lots of uh, snacks and bars. Um, 
wilderness athlete for uh, hydration, uh, for sleep aid, which I think is vitally important. I mean, if you're not sleeping in the backcountry or, you know, overnight in a hunt, it's you're going to suffer, especially if you're out there for a week or 10 days or longer. What's their sleep aid you take? It's uh, called Unplug. I'm going to have to go check my cupboard. I don't think I have that in stock, and that's something I've overlooked. Because I, I don't usually have trouble falling asleep, but if I ever did, man, you, you pay the price the next day. You do. The one thing, and, and plug them, I know we both are big wilderness athlete advocates, but the one thing that they, when they came up with it, my wife, I gave her some the other night, and she slept great. She says, how much melatonin's in it, which I think most people think there's not an ounce of melatonin in it because they don't want your body to stop producing its own. Right. So I can't tell you everything that's in it, but it's a lot more herbs and uh, all natural stuff. And I've been taking it now for a couple months. I just take it every night, whether I'm having trouble sleeping or not. And I, have, I can honestly say I've slept better the last three or four months consistently than I did for, for years. And I never had much problem, but you'd have those nights and then you'd suffer. So I'm a firm believer. So make, I'm making sure that's in my pack. Have you tried their pack-out bars or pack-out bites? Not the bites, but the bars, yes. Dude, the bites are not – I don't even know what to say. Like they're too good, if that makes sense. Yeah. So be careful. Gotcha, be gotcha. And, you know, again, to, to, to some of the people that we know and mention them uh, – you know, Heather's Choice, those packaroon bites are great. Yes. I find I'm not as hungry in when I'm hunting as I am when I'm – it makes no sense sitting in front of the computer because you're more active out hunting, but you've got to refuel. But I don't find I'm as hungry, so it's a lot of not big meals. I have one in the evening with one of those, you know, dehydrated ones. Like I said, I'm switching to pack uh, – sorry, peak refuel this year and Heather's Choice. But it's just a lot of snacks. It's bars. It's nuts. Um, it's dried fruit. I still love the old fashioned peanut butter and a tortilla with maybe a strip of bacon and some honey, mm -hmm. um, packing some of that for midday snacks. And then, it, you know, for me, I saw what you laid out. Um, a lot of the similar type ones. I love like Justin's peanut butter. I, I love peanut butter in general, but just roll that up. And, and then I'll sometimes do, it's more of an energy type thing between the wilderness athlete, you know, some, uh, hydrate and recover energy and focus, but some of those, uh, those blocks or some gels just to sometimes before a big hike or whatever, get that in your system. Yeah. I came across the honey stinger performance chews and they have a little bit of caffeine in them and I'm digging those. Those are, um, those made the menu and I do a food bag, which is just over 3000 calories. That's kind of my mark. And I'll be honest, Willie, I, I struggle to eat all the food in there, but I, at least tells me what I should be taking in because I'm certainly burning th that and more. <clears throat> and so my peak refuel bag is at 3150-ish. And then my Stowaway Gourmet, which you should try those guys, hashtag not sponsored, but it's like the best tasting stuff I've found. Uh, that bag's at 3100 And by the end of the day, when I'm heating up my freeze-dried meal, um, you got to wait 10 minutes. I'm looking in my bag and I'm always like, oh gosh, I sucked at eating today. And I don't know why that is either, but it's maybe it's the hunting, the action's good. It's hot. You're sweating. You're always moving. You, you just don't stand still very often. Remembering to eat. Plus a lot of times, Willie, you have to get into your backpack to get the food out. So if I can take some of the stuff out of my bag and put it in my pouches, I'm a lot more likely to eat it while hunting.
I, I agree. I think access is important both with the food and, and with hydration. I mean, everybody always talks hydration or uh, food and calories and stuff. I think hydration is what a lot of people and sometimes myself suffer with, but that's where a camelback or something where it's right over your shoulder. You can just take those. I drink a lot more and stay better hydrated with that than trying to get into a water bottle. Yeah. So for years I was running um, a hydration bladder. I got away from it, but with the Kafaru pack, they have a pretty handy Nalgene holder on the hip belt. And that is going to help me drink more fluids because before that I, I had my Nalgene kind of out of reach. So I definitely would have to stop, take the backpack off to drink and man, being dehydrated, especially at elevation, like your New Mexico hunt is going to be high. Like how high will you be? I think that's going to be seven to 8,000. Which doesn't sound that high for us out west. But if you're a flatlander or even Midwest guy, that's high enough to where you could start feeling a little fatigue and a slight dull headache. I always get a headache, and I have no shame. I'm fit, but at as soon as I cross over 10,000 feet, dude, I almost always get a dull headache no matter what. And it doesn't last long, but it's it's definitely a thing. So... Staying hydrated is super important. The WA Hydrate Recover, uh, that helps me drink water faster. I generally don't do iodine tab type stuff. If I did, I would I would always cover it up with WA. But uh, I usually run like some sort of water filter like gravity. But uh, my point was the Hydrate Recover flavors. What is your favorite? Oh, I tell you, my new favorite go-to is that watermelon. 100%. Oh, my God. It is unbelievable. On a hot day, it just, I don't know. I can't say enough about it. I've introduced a bunch of people to it, and they've ordered it right off the bat just because the flavor is so good. And it's just sweet enough, but it's not overly sweet. I think that's what I like about it. Definitely. Well, once you're done with Montana, then you're you're not afraid to whitetail hunt, mule deer hunt. Where do you go from there? Uh, I am going to go to Oklahoma for whitetail this year. Um, I hunted Kansas last year, did not draw Kansas, but the same, we sort of do, a we've done tons of terms, but a semi-guided or an outfitted where we, we pay sort of a trespass fee, if you will. And the outfitter sets us up with a couple of farms and he's already got some stands hung, but we go and we can move them. We can hang our own. We can, we just freelance it, which is a really cool opportunity. So I'll be doing that in November. And then, of course, uh, Montana deer. I'll probably focus on mule deer when I come back for the last two weeks of the season with a, with a rifle. I might hunt with a bow, but I love going out east in Montana and hunting uh, mule deer. There's so much country out there. Do you run into a lot of hunting pressure on that hunt? Um, I have only done it once. And, yes, I mean, it's a patchwork, like you said, of public and private Um and some of the privates, obviously, block management that gets open early in the season. It is an orange army uh, further up from Bozeman. You get it's less, but uh, plenty of ground and later during the season, you don't run across nearly as much. And the weather can be quite frightful. What was it like for you last year? Um, last it was actually two years ago that I hunted out there. But if you. What I worry about out east is the moisture. If you get snows or even that you know, freezing rain, the roads are essentially impassable and walking is a pain in the butt. That gumbo just sticks 
and it's slippery and, and gums up. So you may end up spending a day or two <laughs> in your tent or in your trailer letting it pass. Uh, that to me is the real risk out in, in eastern Montana. And you can have a flat road and slide all over the place and not get out of there. Yeah. Well, you're doing a lot of like pretty relatable blue collar style hunts. My question is adventure hunts, the stuff that kind of, you know, COVID could kind of kick you in the teeth. Like, for instance, is Matt Singer going to be able to go on a sheep hunt? Nope. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. So do you have any adventure hunts on your radar or even that um, unlimited Montana hunt where a lot of people still don't even realize that you can hunt sheep every year, blue collar in Montana if you want to? Do you have any adventure hunts on your radar? I don't this year. Um, I was hoping that I would get that re-hunt for the doll sheep hunt last year. But because of COVID and the outfitter losing a guide or two, it isn't going to happen. It is going to happen in 2021. So a year from essentially now, I'll be going back to Alaska for a doll sheep. Seriously? Yep. Are you going to the Alaskan range? Are you going um, up in the brooks? Probably the Alaska range. Mm. Um, So went last year and we didn't see a legal ram. And we did, we did, did go with an outfitter, uh, and I'll give him all the props in the world. When we came out, he's like, you know, if, if I'm taking a guy hunting and we see a legal ram and either you don't get on it, you miss whatever, that's your hunt and that's hunting. He says, if I can't get you on a legal ram, I haven't performed. And it's not necessarily his fault at all. Um, but he, he's basically offered a rehunt, which I would just pay the expenses no additional, which still is, is, you know, relatively expensive. Uh, but I kind of feel that need to finish the deal. What a solid dude. I mean, when word gets out about guys who operate their business with that level of customer service, they're going to stay in business. At least that's my opinion. Absolutely. Customer service and, and going above and beyond over under promising over delivering, regardless of what business you're in. Is what's going to keep you in business. You know, you and I have talked business a bunch, not so much today, but I think that's something that we both are, you know, it's good, solid business model and longevity is important. And we've all heard outfitters who <laughs> are not so much. And uh, it, it doesn't take long before your reputation is, is not good and you start suffering. Well, at the time of this release of the podcast, there'll be some guys getting geared up for rifle elk, which... I've killed one bull with a rifle, and that was my first bull ever, long, long time ago. Been an archery guy ever since, so I'm not the subject matter expert per se. But what kind of uh, best practices, tips, things that guys should be thinking about as they're gearing up for their season, which is coming up any day now? Rifle, elk, out west. I'm I'm not the best guy either, to be honest with you, because I've I've never I've killed a cow elk with my rifle. Everything else has been with a bow or one muzzleloader bull. <laughs> we suck, dude. We're not very balanced here. No, I know. Um, but and and this is shame on me, Dan. I mean, so I drew the 920, which is Eastern Montana archery tag last year. I didn't kill a bull, so I thought my season was over. And Are you serious? I didn't, real, I didn't realize till later that I still had a general tag in my pocket, so I could have gone out and hunted elk with my rifle. That's just 
that's a rookie mistake for a guy who's 50 years old who should not have made that. And I have enough people and resources. Now I was hunting other things. I wasn't sitting there twiddling my thumbs. I right. went to Kansas and I went other places, but I just shame on me. So this year I will not make that mistake that if I am unsuccessful with the bow, you can be assured in October, <laughs> late October, before I go to Oklahoma, I'm going to be chasing the elk with, with the rifle. Um, you have a lot more competition. Elk usually aren't bugling. It's a lot to me, depending on the terrain, glassing, um, spot and stock, just putting the time in and, and middle part of the day, getting on those north facing slopes and just still hunting really quiet, creeping along. You can, if you play the wind right and you're quiet enough, you can sneak up on some elk, even in the dark timber. Yeah. You can Elmer foot it for sure. Uh, <laughs> what, what kind of, I mean, dude, you have, do you work with Browning? Yes. Okay. So you know more about guns than I do. Like, what is your go-to setup for elk if you do, by chance, not end up um, sticking with your bow and you do go extended season? What are you going to use? Uh, I'm going to use my .30-06. Tried and true. Yep. I, I, the one thing, I, 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 have, I hunt with a bow. I hunt with a gun. I love archery hunting that much more just for all the reasons I think most archers love archery hunting. But man, they have come up with some calibers and stuff that I, I don't, I am not a ballistics guy. You start talking about, oh, this, this caliber is actually this caliber, but a neck down version of this. I, I get lost in that. So I have more guns than I would ever use from working with Browning for nine years. And, and, but I think the 30 out six for elk is like you said, tried and true. It's proven. I know the caliber. I know my gun. I know the optics. I've got confidence and I think confidence is half the battle. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, wolf season, Montana. Have you ever tried to go out and do some winter wolf hunting in your area? No. Is that I something? Wolf tag in my pocket, but I want to do it. You want to do it? Yeah, I think that would. Uh, I think that would make a great show. Uh, and even if you didn't see a wolf, but at least tried your your hand at howling and locating, and then get it in tight and inst- trying to do some predator calling would be cool, um, especially because I think, and I don't, I'm not an expert on your area, but it sure seems like there's a lot of country that borders Yellowstone that's legal to hunt. And there's a lot of wolves down there, man. There are a lot of wolves. Absolutely. That doesn't mean they're easy. There's a lot of coyotes. Those are a lot easier. You're talking a bigger hunter. I'm preaching to the choir, but you're talking a bigger, smarter, uh, predator that, uh, I'd love to go give it a whirl though. No, I'm in the same boat. Like I haven't really done a good job of putting my best foot forward to do some actual wolf hunting. And, and I got a, my trapper's license in Idaho. So I'm actually trying to get a sled to set to do a trap line this next coming winter uh, there in Idaho. That's about the only way you can really have consistent success. Although my friends that stuck in the rut in North Idaho there, those guys have done an amazing job of getting it kind of figured out on how to locate elk. I'm sorry, how to locate wolves, get in tight and do predator calling and get them to come in. And what they've learned is that you can't really, you can get them to howl as a locator bugle, for lack of a better analogy. Uh, but once you get in tight, howling is not the the way to go. It's actually get them a moose calf in distress or a calf elk distress call and they'll drop their guard and come in. And no so kidding. That to me is intriguing. 
I was just in Yellowstone. I missed you guys when we drove through Bozeman, but I filmed a pack of nine in the Lamar Valley right off the road. Uh, they had killed a buffalo 400 yards off the road. And uh, it was interesting. I mean, I think they're cool animals. Don't get me wrong, but they're dogs. And uh, it was really interesting to watch, like, their behavior. They had – they ki- they cleaned that carcass in about 48 hours. And uh, buffalo are not small. No. No. There's uh, – I think there's a lot of good opportunities. And um, like like – we need to control the predators just like we need to control everything else. And I know you're a huge advocate of that, both with black bears and, and wolves in Idaho. So I don't know, maybe that's something you and I could do together. It'd be a ton of fun to try it. We both have a desire and an interest. So whether it's Idaho or here or something like that, it'd be fun to do. Yeah. The numbers are really good by my cabin for sure. And you've for guys listening, like Willie's come over and uh, filmed an episode bear hunting with me and he killed this one bear that I couldn't get killed. And I was so glad to see you get, get him. We, what do we call him? Scarface. I'm looking at him right now. Are you? Okay. Yeah, dude. I, I was so stoked for you to get that bear. He was tricky. Let's, let's take a quick little memory lane on that and we'll, and we'll wrap up the podcast. But like, had you killed a bear yet when you came over? Nope. Okay, cool. So that was your first bear ever. Yes. Even more special. So that was a, like, that was one of my most memorable hunts. We had, uh, we had Grady Rawls come over and film for your show. Uh, we had Santino fly up from, from Denver and yourself. And, and we had like a sweet little bear camp. Uh, my buddy Tyler was there and dude, that was so much fun, but we got you in on that bear and you, I think you bow hunted him, but then you pivoted because we, he was so smart. You had to pivot and you, you played the right card. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I learned a lot on the baiting from you and your dad, and we had a phenomenal hunt. Um, but yeah, we Scarface, good old bear, and uh, after trying with the bow for a couple of times, we finally sat back, and I think we were about 90 yards off the bait. And Teddy Dewar also came out um, as a sort of a secondary camera guy, and he's the one who uh, was there when I when I shot him. But we, uh, I remember vividly, we were doing the smoking, and we heard sort of a low growl down in the canyon and we dropped back and, and he came in in about 40 minutes, but he was really wary and uh, you could see why we never got him with a bow. And uh, he finally just provided that broadside shot. And uh, I, I shot him with, uh, I think it was the 30 out six, to be honest with you, I'd have to double check, but um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't go far. And I remember how pumped you and your dad were that, that Scarface finally uh, succumbed to uh to the the state and hunting camp yeah i uh i was 10 yards away from that bait in a tree in may about two weeks before you got there we had fed that bear for a month and he hooked up with the local sow and they were a breeding pair and i remember they came in like i think i got in the stand like four o'clock and i never really plan on seeing bears when i'm hunting over bait till about six or seven uh at the earliest and my guard was down. Uh, I'm just kind of sitting there, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's Scarface and his girlfriend, and they're at the bait 10 yards underneath me. And I've just never had a bear pick me off so fast. I mean, I was pretty close to the bait, but uh, I was really high up in the tree. And I remember I grabbed my bow, and I was just getting ready to pull back, and he picked off that movement and was gone. And that was my only real encounter with him. So just to see him up close was so cool. Dude was a fighter. 
he was so scarred up and uh, did, so you obviously did some sort of taxidermy with him. I got a rug. I mean, you have to do that on your first bear and whoever your dad and you recommended did it, did a great job. I mean, I'm, he's on my uh, poker table now, which never gets used for poker, but he's laying there. He's a great, great display. And his nose is all scarred up and just above on his forehead between his eyes. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, Willie, thanks for coming in. Kind of last when we talked about it yesterday, here we are recording a podcast for those listening, man, enjoy the last couple of weeks of elk season for you. Rifle guys, best of luck. Sorry. We don't have much to offer you, but, um, what Willie said was very important to just rely on your glass, be sneaky, execute a good shot. Um, and for those that maybe are done elk hunting and you're in a position where you don't like the, the taste of tag soup, check out the elk collective. That's our latest project that we're doing. It's digital education on elk hunting from multiple resources, not just one. So check out the elk collective.com. Willie Schmidt, you are on Instagram. You're on Facebook. Uh, you have a website, you have a TV show. Where does your show air? It's on the Sportsman Channel. We're on Monday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern time. And uh, we'll be airing through uh, sorry, through December. Some really good stuff. I know uh, we, had a really, we had a really good season in Season 9 uh, from the quality and quantity standpoint. But also just some, you know what happened to my father. I had my last hunt with him and we filmed it. And uh, just... I don't know. I'm really proud of what we've developed, and season nine is is probably our best season. Yeah, there's a lot of pulling at the heartstrings. I know you lost your father back in the spring, and um, I know that that's. I know my relationship with my dad is unmatched. He's my best friend, so to lose that, I'm super sorry. But I'm excited that he gets to that memory gets to be shared on season nine. Uh, you guys are all on Instagram is pure hunting underscore official. Facebook, what's the website? Purehunting.com. Okay, and then do you have archived episodes there where people can catch up on seasons past? I do, yeah. Almost all of seasons one through eight, I still have a couple from eight to add, but there's, I don't remember, 70-some episodes, um, including the Idaho bear hunt. Go check it out. I will drop in the show notes the link to that bear hunt so you guys can watch that. So check out the show notes. Mr. Willie Schmidt, thank you so much for coming on. And guys, remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Great episode with Mr. Willie Schmidt. Best of luck uh, to you, Willie. Can't wait to hear how your season shaped out. For you rifle guys getting ready or muzzleloader folks, get ready to crush it. Your season's here. Uh, leave it all on the field. Have no regrets. Give it your all day after day and work hard in the name of better elk hunting. I uh, want to give a shout-out to Vortex Optics if you want to take advantage of not only the most affordable, best Reliable glass that has a VIP warranty. Check out their Razor series. They have the HD 4000 rangefinder. They got the UHD binos. They got the awesome spotters. I use a 65 millimeter, but they have great apparel. So if you want to get some new swag, go to Vortex Optics and check out their apparel. Use discount code ELKSHAPE, save 20%. Baku e-bikes can help you with maybe your late season whitetail hunting. You want to get into the stand quietly or haul in some bait or whatever it is you do. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE400, save $400 on an e-bike. Wilderness Athlete, which we mentioned on the podcast, if you never tried it before, on your first order, save 30%. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE30. Climate Sleep System, we have a call to action. It's ELKSHAPE20. We'll save you 20% off any of their sleep systems, so go ahead and check that out. 
and blackovis.com for all your honey needs uh, be careful uh, I, I know I use the discount code elkshape saves me 20% you can do the same check them out they have awesome game bags they have all pretty much every hunting piece of equipment you need that's where I buy my arrows is on black Ovis. in fact so check them out guys you have a lot of choices in the podcast world we always appreciate listening to this one you can count on more blue collar down to earth real elk hunting conversations personal development growth all that good stuff so appreciate you we love the support we'll catch you on the next one have a good night take care